just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I am chatting to Christina Deserio. Christina is the CEO of Apios, a free and secure online platform that helps connect people with a shared diagnosis to one another. But what people might not know is that Christina is living with fibromyalgia and chronic migraine herself. And that's what we're chatting about today. In this episode, Christina talks us through getting a diagnosis, how she managed her symptoms while studying in a double PhD program, the challenges moving states has had on her treatment plan and of course the story of how apios came to be welcome to that so chronic i'm really excited to chat to you today because you are a neuroscientist you have got extensive training in vision science, cognitive neuroscience, and cognitive and developmental psychology, which has all, I guess, led you to be the CEO of a company called Apios, which if people haven't heard of Apios or they aren't aware, it's a doctor-owned company which provides a free online platform for people that are living with the same medical condition and it allows them to connect with one another. And I'm really excited to learn more about that. Obviously, we're going to chat more about that a little bit later in the episode. But first, I'm really interested to learn more about you because as well as all of the above, you're also living with a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and chronic migraine. And I'm excited to learn more about you today. Thank you. Shall we start all the way at the beginning? I'm assuming that perhaps the diagnosis isn't the beginning. Had you been experiencing any symptoms before you officially got a diagnosis? Oh yeah, long before. Probably I can remember starting around 12 or 13 years old. I was just in pain all the time. Mm -hmm. Back problems, headaches, tick disorders and all kinds of stuff. And back when you were 12 or 13, had you been going to doctors about this? Constantly. Yeah. And did they know what was going on? You know, they had ideas. They suspected things like lupus and Mm -hmm. fibromyalgia early on, and they had tested for things along those lines early on. There were stigmas around these diagnoses around that time. Yeah. And so I'm not sure how seriously they they took it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it kind of even though they had those those ideas, it still somehow went undiagnosed until my 20s. Wow. And so when you're a young person living in so much pain, were these doctors able to offer you any sort of treatment to help, I guess, mitigate some of that pain? Yeah, although I think sometimes those treatments were worse than the problems mm-hmm. to start with. I remember one of the, the treatments they offered, they, they gave me a prescription of those Xanax bars, uh, those big, you know, yeah. kind of heavy Xanax 
I was, I was 13. Yeah. And, and I remember being like, why this is, this is heavy stuff. You know, I'm 13. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And did you find that anything could relieve some of the symptoms? Especially around then, no. Yeah. I just, I just really struggled a lot. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you grow up and you finish school and you go to college or university, as we call it here in New Zealand. And you go to college and are you still living with these symptoms that you started experiencing when you were like 12 or 13? Yes, I I still experience all the symptoms. And it's when you were in college that you were able to finally get a diagnosis. What did that process look like for you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I was I was afraid to get the diagnosis. Okay, because I was afraid again of the stigma that was attached to it. Mm -hmm. I finally ended up fighting for it because I was in school and I needed the accommodations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I started really seeking the diagnosis out. How do you go about seeking a diagnosis? <laughs> yeah, I, I just uh, I just kept going to doctors and saying, you know, something is wrong and I'm not happy yeah. and I, I need help. You know, I would go to specialist after specialist and, um, you know, I was getting, you know, I, I think something that happens is that there's so much comorbidity between diagnoses, especially these types of diagnoses, where you start to confuse your diagnoses and they they overlap. And so mm-hmm. you almost don't know how to describe them. And then it would throw off the specialist. And then the specialist yeah. would like not di- diagnose me correctly because they were confused, right? Like I remember with, with fibromyalgia, I was diagnosed later with that than I should have been because at one point, cause I experienced chronic fatigue syndrome as well, of course. And so I was telling the specialist, well, it gets worse for me in the evening. Right. And I explained it that way because as the evening goes on, my migraines get worse, right? The migraines. So I get super tired in the evening. My migraines get, get so much worse in the evening. And so I, I just can't really function in the evening. So even though fibromyalgia is typically worse in the morning, for me, I struggle a lot more in the evening because I also mm-hmm. have the chronic fatigue syndrome and the migraines. So he heard me say that automatically, even though I have fibromyalgia, he diagnosed me as not having fibromyalgia so now ah. one of now I have like a a chronic pain disorder, not fibromyalgia, and I'm like, dang it, I'm pretty sure it's yeah. fibromyalgia. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. When you say that you were seeing different specialists, what kind of specialists were you seeking out to try and get this diagnosis? Neurologists, rheumatologists, you know, just pretty much anyone and everyone, uh, PMR doctors. And then you eventually, I guess, get given the diagnosis of chronic migraine and also fibromyalgia. Yeah. How did that feel when a doctor said this, these words to you? I felt vindicated in a way. Mm-hmm. I felt seen. I also felt frustrated because I knew that there wasn't like an easy fix. And and I also felt a little discouraged because I knew that it was something that people wouldn't look at and be like, oh, I understand your pain. Mm-hmm. So a little discouraged there too. But yeah, it was a mix. It was I was really happy in some ways and like, oh, okay, like at least it's not all in my head. Like, yeah. <laughs> 
not a hypochondriac. Like this is real. This is valid, you know, but it was also like, well, this is going to, you know, it's not over. This is going to be a Mm -hmm. lifelong struggle. What would be your definition of these diagnoses? If someone's listening and they've never heard of them before, how would you describe fibromyalgia or chronic migraine? Oh, wow. Never been asked that before. (laughs) (laughs) Fibromyalgia, I guess I'd describe it as like an overactive nervous system. Mm -hmm. Like just like people could get like um, a mild headache every day, but maybe it feels worse to somebody with fibromyalgia. And then uh, chronic migraines. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, uh, yeah, just it, it just hurts your head yeah when i was doing some research into chronic migraine it was telling me that there is kind of a criteria to meet the chronic migraine and that can be x amount of migraines over x amount of time right is that true yeah yeah i i don't know what the standard is i i forget what that is uh for Mm -hmm. me i get them every day wow so i've been getting migraines every single day since i was about 12 or 13. when you get a migraine what does the world look like when that happens for you well it's it's black and spotty (laughs) You you know it's the whole right side of my head is like just hammered and on it's just pulsing and pounding and it's very, very painful. And, you know, there's like uh, flashing lights and it's, it's just, it's very painful. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to explain, but. I'm sure people listening that also experience chronic migraine are like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. It is painful. Yeah. I get nausea a lot with it. That's, that's one of the key things for me is I I get very, um, very nauseous pretty much every day. I experience a lot of nausea with it. And is there any challenges, I guess, by having fibromyalgia with these, with a, with a nerve central nervous system that is taking these pain signals and amplifying them as well as then having chronic migraine? Yeah. It's just, it's just really intense. (laughs) Yeah. And so all of this is going on for you while you're studying to become a neuroscientist. Right. You mentioned about needing to have some accommodations when you were studying. How was that? What did that look like? For me personally, I'm going back to study and it's my first time actually studying with a diagnosis of a chronic illness. And I don't know what that's going to look like for me. So I guess just wanting to get a little bit more information about how you navigated studying with these diagnoses? Yeah, well, you know, for for people with different conditions, they can look different. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. it was things like, you know, I told you that I get worse in the evening. I know that I tend to get my migraines in the evening after 5 p.m. So I'd have testing accommodations, something like, you know, uh, please don't administer exams past 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. Uh-huh. Yeah, or taking my test in a separate space is a common one. Mm-hmm. Things like that, things that are specific. If I needed, if I received a, a migraine, um, you know, the day of an exam, um, I had accommodations that allowed for extensions on things or to take my exam later the next day or whatever without being penalized. Yeah, things like that. Amazing. And was that like a difficult process to go about getting these accommodations? It depended on the school. Yeah. That was a big factor. I would say for people who are applying to universities or thinking about going to schools and getting accommodations, I would say that it's it's important to talk to your school 
and to find out what their accommodation programs look like, what their disability programs look like, what the funding for their programs look like. Find out about the programs because they all, they differ. For example, I went to uh, UC Berkeley. They have one of the best funded programs. Ah. I also went to Indiana University and they are a much more conservative school in their programs. And so the, right. those two programs differed a lot in the types of mm -hmm. accommodations and how easy it was for me to receive accommodations. So yeah, I would definitely talk to your programs and make sure that they they can, you know, accommodate you. Yeah. I'm wondering if you knew of anybody else that was living with fibromyalgia or chronic migraine when you got this diagnosis? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Had you heard of these diagnoses before? Um, I had heard of them, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't know too much about them, um, even yeah. in the field that I'm in. Uh, it's very different to know the science behind them than to know the actual experience of them. Yeah. And I guess it was around this time when you were studying that a couple of your friends that were in med school decided to... Well, they saw an issue, I guess, and they thought they needed to bridge a gap and connect patients that are living with the same lived experiences together. And that eventually formed the company that you're now the CEO of. Yeah. Can you remember when they came up with that idea? Yeah, yeah. They were doing their rounds in medical school and they just realized, you know, they wanted to be able to reach more than just one patient at a time. Yeah. And they saw that after a patient was diagnosed, that there is this period of, you know, loneliness and depression that people would often go through where they felt alone and scared and confused about their diagnosis. And they wanted to speed up the process of between where they received the diagnosis and where they started to understand you know, as much as they could about it, all the different treatments that are available, not just from one doctor, right? Mm -hmm. so you'll, you'll get the doctor's opinion, but there are a lot of doctor's opinions out there, right? Yeah. And so, so they wanted to make it available to people that, you know, you can find out from lots of people, you know, who are actually going through it, what treatments they've tried and what experiences they're having with those treatments. Uh, so that, that was the idea behind this. And as soon as I heard uh, what their concept was, I was like all in. I'm like, this is amazing. If I had this, like I just, this would have just made my world so much different. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think your life would have looked like if a platform like APOS existed when you were diagnosed? It would have made all the difference for me. Yeah. It definitely would have. I mean, I... Even things like getting the accommodations I needed and being able to, to figure out how to ask for what I needed, yeah. finding the words and, and knowing how to stand up for yourself and to not, to not feel kind of hard on yourself or just to feel, feel empowered by other people yeah. who understand it. That would have made such a difference. It can be so isolating and lonely when you're trying to navigate all of this. Yeah. Yeah. It can be so incredibly daunting as well. Yeah. I think I had mentioned in, in one of my written interviews that, you know, I, I went through an experience with, with an accommodation where I had, I had gone and I had asked for a support group for people who experience chronic pain. And I yeah. said, you know, I experienced chronic pain. I'm really struggling. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. 
you know, I was in grad school at the time and it was just so difficult to, to juggle. I was in a double PhD program and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to juggle, you know, this, this program and, and being in pain every day. And they just, they said, well, maybe you should change careers, you know? Yeah. And instead of hooking me up with the resources that could have helped me, they, they were encouraging me to find a career path that was more forgiving. And I just bawled my eyes out. (laughs) Of course. Oh my God. So devastated. And I just, I felt like if I could have had something like APOS where I could have gone and just had a support system of people who understood that could have, no girl, like (laughs) you can do this. Like, Like it just, it just, it would have helped so much. When I think back to what you were saying about the gap of when the doctor gives the diagnosis and then they have their opinion on perhaps what the next plan should be or a treatment or a management plan and just being able to connect with others and see what their situation is. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's the same in the States, but especially in New Zealand, a lot of the doctor's opinions or the treatment plan could actually change depending on where you live as well. And I'm wondering if if that's something that you've noticed in your experience living in the States, whether that's something that you see as well. Yeah, I I had experiences where I would I would be on one treatment plan and uh it would be working for me. And then I would move states, you know, because I was in school. I had to move all the time for my program. And then the doctor's opinions would differ. And so they would just take me just suddenly take me off of these medications that you can't just be taken off of right and they would just rip me off of these medications suddenly and then sometimes they wouldn't even have a backup plan or they they just be like well I just don't like this combination and we're just going to take you off of them and I'd say do you at least have a substitution (laughs) do we have something we can do you know and sometimes they wouldn't even have that you know, and they were just because they just didn't agree with the last doctors. And that that has been a very difficult part of the the treatment process. Yes. Wow. Doctors just don't agree with each other. Have you found a treatment or a management plan that works for you now? I do have one. Yeah. But I'm still in the same place of, you know, I'm still terrified every time I have to move of what's going to happen, you know, of, oh boy, if I have to move, are they going to change my treatment plan again? Because, you know, no two doctors are going to agree. But when you have these chronic conditions, when when you're on more serious medications, you know, these are the issues that come up. Mm -hmm. You are the CEO, the chief executive officer of a company. I'm not a CEO of anything. And I can only imagine that being a CEO, there's a lot of work that goes along with that. And I'm wondering how you navigate being the boss, essentially, and living with a chronic illness. Is there anything that you have to do in your day to day to help manage the workload, as well as your conditions? Yeah. Yeah, there certainly is. So I find that sticking to a a schedule is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Having a consistent routine, working out every day, uh, really. Okay. So making sure that I, I stick to my routine, my sleep schedule, things like that yeah. is a big part of it. And honestly, I do have to have a flexible schedule, you know, yeah. that's, that's a big part of it for me. So I'm very lucky to be doing something where I'm able 
to, to keep that flexibility, you know, and, and everyone in the company is very compassionate and, and wonderful. And, you know, they, they make the experience possible. You know, I've had to have some surgeries and some things, you know, um, that we've had to work around. And, and anytime that comes up, everyone's just gracious and wonderful and steps in for me and we make it work. Amazing. We just keep pushing through. Have you utilized being able to work from home at all? Especially, I guess, in the pandemic, we've suddenly all pivoted to working at home for a while there. How have you found that process? It's been great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's been very helpful. <laughs> With having a chronic illness or a medical condition that people, when they see you walking down the street, might not know that anything is going on, I guess an invisible illness, mm-hmm. does that ever present any challenges for you? Yeah, so I actually really struggled with the fact that it was an invisible illness. Mm-hmm. While I was at UC Berkeley, I specifically went to a therapist who specialized in dealing with invisible disorders. Ah, okay. Yeah, she actually wrote a book on dealing with um, invisible disorders. Amazing. Yeah. I might have to get the name of you after we stop recording so I can have a read. Yeah, it was great, actually. It was written for people with hidden disabilities and their partners. Ah, yeah. So that both people can really understand what it's like to deal with a hidden disability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that was a, a big thing for me because I had dealt, you know, especially in the university system, I dealt so much with, like, for example, in undergrad, I had straight A's. And one C. <gasps> and that one C was because a professor gave me a 77% on a test that I had actually answered no questions wrong on um, because I showed a lot of anxiety up at the board because, <laughs> because I was ha- I was having tics that day. Yeah. One of my problems is I, I show tics. And um, so I get anxiety when I show tics. And so I, yeah. I'm having anxiety from that. And when I tried to talk to him about the fact that that impacted my grade, I, I said, well, I have a disorder. I have a disability and it's on my accommodation sheet. And that's why you're not yeah. supposed to give me questions on a board like that. And that's, that's why it said I'm supposed to take tests alone. And he said, well, you don't look sick. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> so I said, well... Okay, you know, and again, you know, I went home and I cried it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that was um that was really hard for me. And I went through that a lot. I went through it in, in um high school, you know, people would say that to me, well, you don't look sick. And I had to choose my high school based on the location of where my doctor's office was, so that during lunch I could go and get IVs. You know, so I could go back and get through the day because I didn't yeah. have the energy to make it through a whole day at school. Yeah. And it was it was just such a hard thing to feel like I was struggling just to get through the day every day. And it took everything I had to make it through a day. And people were just so upset with me when I couldn't show up to things because they couldn't see it. Yeah. And I I didn't want to disappoint people or let them down, but it was just so hard. And I think that's what inspires me so much to keep sharing people's stories and help hopefully spread some awareness so that that university professor can 
you know, maybe one day it crosses his desk where he learns a little bit more about someone living with an invisible illness and how the things that we say actually really matters. And that sentence, but you don't look sick, is just horrific, actually. <laughs> Especially when you're living with so much pain or fatigue as well can just be so debilitating. Yeah, and you just want to scream and say, well, how would you? Yeah. You've never seen me healthy. You don't know yeah. what it's like for me. <laughs> exactly. If you could go back in time and you could say something to Christina who doesn't have a diagnosis yet, who the doctors aren't too sure what's going on, if you could say anything to yourself back then, what would you say? You know, I'd probably say that you don't need a diagnosis to be okay. Yeah. I'm not sure that that's the best answer, but yeah. I think that's amazing and it's so true. If people would like to find out more about APOS, how can they go about doing that? Well, they can go to our website at uh, www.apos.com. And it is actually, each letter stands for a word, doesn't it? Yes, it's an empowering place to interact and openly share. Incredible. Yes. Amazing. And it's a free platform, isn't it? Yes, it's a free and secure online platform. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story with me and with everybody that's listening today. I've really enjoyed getting to chat to you and learn more about you and the company that you work with. And I'm really excited to see what's next. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was another episode of That's So Chronic. Thank you for being here and supporting the podcast. It truly means the world. The information about APOS will be in the show notes if you would like to go and check it out for yourself. And you can always find more information about everything that we talk about or you can send me a message over on Instagram. I'm at That's So Chronic. If you're new around here, make sure you've pressed follow and left a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I know I keep going on about it but it really is one of the easiest and free ways to support the show and it allows me to continue making these episodes to not only spread awareness out there but more importantly hope thank you so much and i'll see you next tuesday